0: All right, well, good morning, and I, again, I say a happy Mother's Day to, uh, to those of you who are moms and to those of you who are not moms. Um, uh, we um, are thankful for you as well. Um, if you've got a Bible, make your way to Luke chapter 5. If you're a guest with us, let me say a special welcome to you. My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here at Providence, uh, and we've been making our way through the book of Luke for some time now. So, um, as you explore for four, if you want to go back and catch some of those, we've got those on our website, InsidePBC.com, podcast, on iTunes, whatever you want to do. Uh, But we are glad that you are here with us, and if you were praying for uh, John and Chad and myself as we were uh, hiking this weekend on the Appalachian Trail, thank you for that. We had a really good trip, a lot of highs, a couple lows as well, including... The night that a mouse chewed a hole into my tent and climbed in there with me and ran across my face and woke me up, and then proceeded about a two or three minute battle as I was trying to find this thing, running under my sleeping bag, running under my backpack, and eventually I pounded him to death with my boot. So, yeah. <clears throat> and then threw him off the cliff that was in front of our, in front of our tent. That was definitely a low, uh, but... Uh, Luke chapter 5. All right, what we got going on, Dr. Luke is writing an orderly account. um, And he's writing it for us as well as to this high-ranking Roman official um, named Theophilus. And he's trying to provide an orderly account. You can read about that in chapter 1. So that we might have confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then that has massive implications for us. Like even big, it's got eternal ramifications for us. So Luke is writing this gospel so that we might know that these things are true. And so as he's making our way, as he's making his way through uh, the life of Jesus, we come to chapter 5, and he records another one of Jesus' miracles. Where Jesus is showing his power, where Jesus is showing his Divinity, where Jesus is proving that He is God in the flesh. And as He does this miracle with, that Matt just read about, with, with all of the fish, um, tons of fish, two boats that are sinking under the weight of fish, as He performs that miracle, He also, this section, calls His first disciples. And so, let kind of set that up. Sarah and I will celebrate 14 years of marriage this coming August, and so I I can still remember that day we got married in Estes Park, Colorado, that's her home state, and we, I remember standing at the front of St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church, and um, eventually, you know, those doors opened up, and I saw the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen walking towards me, and she came down, and over the next 30 minutes, you know, we exchanged vows, we exchanged rings, and and said the, you know, um, uh, typical, uh, traditional, you know, I do. And the thing about a marriage um, is you, you make those promises in that moment. I do. I, I will do all these things. I do. But the reality is, in a marriage, we need to say that every single day. It's a new thing. I do. Every day. I do. Every day. I do. Every single day. Hourly. I do. And that's kind of similar to the point that I think Luke's pointing us to in telling us this story about um, the calling of the disciples, that in the calling of the disciples, when they decided to follow Jesus, it's not just a one time decision. There is that moment where you cross from spiritual death to spiritual life, and you are now a follower of Jesus. You weren't, now you are, but it is a decision to, to say I do to the Lord every single day. I follow you, I follow you, I follow you. Every day we respond to Jesus in this way. And so that's what I think this, you know, kind of is all about. It's a a response to Jesus. We see the disciples responding to Jesus here for the first time. And certainly it is that for those of you who maybe my friends in here who aren't Christians yet. This is a, a way you respond to Jesus for the first time. But for those of us who are Christians, it's the same response. Daily, hourly, minute by minute, we respond in these ways. We respond to Christ by, number one, taking him at his word. Number two, by recognizing who he is and who we are. And then number three, we respond to Jesus by leaving everything and following him. And so we're just going to make our way through those things. At the moment of salvation, that's the way we respond. And every day for the rest of our life, we continue to say, I do, to these things. Taking him at his word, recognizing who he is and who we are, and leaving everything and following him. So let's jump into it. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is just another word for the Sea of Galilee. Some people in this village would call it this. Some people in this village would call it this. Same thing. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. These boats are about 30 feet long, 8 feet wide. They actually have found one of them from the first century. You can Google it and check it out and see what it looked like. Had a mast, had a sail, those sorts of things. But I want to direct your attention back to verse 1 real quick. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him. What were they? Why, why were they pressing in on him? Look at it. I want you to look at your Bible. Answer that question. Why were they pushing in on him? To hear the word of God. So, just a side point. I will I always want to show you this. The basis, the authority, the center of Christian ministry is and was the preaching of God's word. It's not about personality. It's not about popularity. It's not about programs. all right. It's not about entertainment. You, entertainment will draw a crowd, but we want to we make disciples. That's what we're called to do. So it's about the Word. And so for Christians, the most important part of your body is the ear. We gather together to hear the Word of God preached. That is essential to the life of a Christian, but we don't want to just be hearers only but doers as well. And so the crowds are pushing in here they're wanting to hear uh the 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 you know the preaching of the word so Jesus kind of commandeers Peter's boat he knew him he had healed his mother-in-law he was not a disciple peter was not a follower of jesus he was not a christian Jesus kind of commandeers his boat pushes out and begins preaching which is a pretty brilliant thing because water if you've ever been on water man that you can speak and that carries forever So he used the boat as a pulpit, he used the water as his sound system, and he began teaching to those who were on the shore. And so look at that with me, verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And so that's what Jesus performs this miracle here. But look back at verse 5, at Simon Peter's response. Verse 5, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, But at your word, I will let down my nets. Like despite his initial resistance and despite his skepticism, he took Jesus at his word and let down his nets. And this is a lesson for us. Like God's word will come to us and it will say something that we do not like, something that we don't want to hear, something that we don't want to do, something we don't even want to believe. But His commands are to lead us into joy. But sometimes, they require some pain at first. Like even the Israelites, getting to the promised land, they had to go through Egypt. So take Jesus at His word. Even when, I don't want to do this, I don't like this, take Him at His word. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's calling you to. Take him at his word. I mean, if you look at this here, think about this for a minute. Peter's the professional, right? Peter's the professional here. He is a professional fisherman, not Jesus. And so I remember going on a deep sea fishing trip several years ago, and it was great. Had a great time. We caught like everything we they would allow. We had to start throwing, um, we call a limit of snapper, had to start throwing snapper back Awesome time, ton of fish, great great time. But I I can imagine what if I had told the captain in the first mate? What if I begun talking to him, saying, "No no 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 no, you you don't know what you're doing. Let me let me tell you how to do this. Why don't you go over here? I, the fish are going to be over here. Why don't, why don't you do that? Right? He's the professional. I'm not. I can only imagine if, what how he would respond if I started doing that. He had a salty little voice. So I can only imagine how he would respond to me. But no one likes to take job advice from someone in a different line of work. So Peter could have been like, I'm the fisherman. You're a carpenter. If, if we're dealing with building something or woodworking, then I would defer to you, but we're not. You're in my league. You're in my realm. I'm the i'm the i'm the professional here i'm the skilled one i have the knowledge here but he didn't he continued to listen he content, he, he, he he despite his skepticism despite his doubts he listened to what christ had to say and let it down And so the, I mean, it's a simple truth here. Take Jesus at His word. Despite your skepticism, despite your doubts, despite your not wanting to, take Him at His word. He's for you. He, he, he wants to lead you. I'm not saying He's going to provide a miraculous spiritual catch for you. He could if He wants to, but take Him at His word. It will go better. This whole idea, like some people, I mean, some people will have this rationalization, well, the Bible, that's great and everything, and I know the Bible says this, but God just doesn't understand my circumstances. He just doesn't understand what I'm going through. He just doesn't understand, you know, um, me. And above all, I mean, God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to go ahead and, and do it. That is Oprah Winfrey. That's not the Bible. Above all, God wants you to worship and enjoy Him and lead others to do the same. That's what He wants you to do. Especially when we don't feel like it. In good grief, how much anxiety would we avoid if we just took Him at His word? And so in the moment of salvation, take God at His word, believe, repent, and believe, Day by day by day by day, take God at his word. That's number one. Number two, recognize who you are and who Christ is. Recognize who you are and who Christ is. Look at verse five. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down my net." who were partners with Simon. And so in this moment, Peter was converted, right? Right here, right here is where Peter was converted. He saw who he truly was, and he saw who Jesus truly was. He saw that he was a sinner, I am a sinful man, and you are Lord. So he calls him Lord, he calls himself a sinful man. This wasn't the first time that Peter had met Jesus, but it was the first time that he had truly seen him for who he was. And truly seen himself for who he was. And this is the response that he had. And this is the response that happens for us when we recognize who we truly are. And who God truly is. It's the response, you know, it it happened to Isaiah. You Look at chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It happened to Job. Job says, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It happened to the Apostle John, who's mentioned here in verse 10, in the book of Revelation, when he writes it, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But then that verse goes on to say, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so the point of all this is this. Writhing in agony over one's sin is a prelude to the grace of forgiveness. It is a prelude. The writhe, Like feeling the weight of sin and hating and feeling despising of yourself and of what you've done and of your sin and woe is me and and, and falling at your feet and, 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 and Peter here understanding the sinfulness of himself. This is a prelude to the grace of forgiveness. Like in order to be saved, you've got to realize that you need to be saved, that you are a sinner and that you are hopeless in and of yourself. And when you recognize just like Close your eyes for just a minute. I know that's a dangerous thing to do in church because some of you may not open them back up. But close your eyes for just a minute and just think about the holiness and the splendor and the glory and the dominion and the sovereignty of the Lord God Almighty who calls out stars by their name. When you get that holiness, that the glory of God. And then you take an honest look at yourself. You can't help but cry out with Isaiah, woe is me. You can't help but cry out with Job, I despise myself. You can't help but fall at the Lord's feet as though dead like John. But everybody open your eyes now and look right at me. But we don't stay there. We don't stay in despair, because Jesus says to us, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I, we, we, we don't despair because we've got an advocate before the Father. Right? We don't have to despair and wallow in our sin because Jesus has taken our sins away and he's given to us his own, his very Righteousness. We don't have to despair anymore because we've traded places. He's taken our sins. He's given us His holiness. And now we can stand before God the Father blameless. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. His perfect life in the place of our imperfect one. His undeserved death in the place of, uh, as a substitute for our deserved death. And His glorious resurrection as a guarantee and a foretaste of our future resurrection. This is the Christian hope. Like our sin drives us to despair. But our Savior lifts us to rejoicing. And so Jesus says to Simon here at the end of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And Jesus is saying to him, don't worry, Simon. Your sin does not disqualify you from my grace, from my mercy, from my love. That's the reason I came. To give it. And then here's where this crazy thing happens when we are recognizing who Jesus is and who we are, that he's holy and that we're sinful. But again, he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness and adopts into his family. So, so who you are now, Christian, those of you who've repented and believed the gospel, who you are now, you're a daughter or a son of the king. That's who you are. You've been saved. You've been adopted. And so I am Joseph Steagall, child of God. Not Joseph Stegall, pastor of Providence. That's not my identity. I am not Joseph Stegall, middle class, southern, suburban American. I'm not Joseph Stegall, 1995 Toyota T100. I'm not Joseph Stegall, former track guy, now a hiker guy. I'm not Joseph Stegall, who was once uh, one person Monday through Saturday, and somebody else on Sunday. That's not who I am anymore. Who I am is simply his. That's my identity. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity. Not what you do. Not the labels people throw on you. None of you are Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are. And it's not because we're righteous. But it's because God's gracious. So Number two, in responding to Jesus recognize who you are, a sinner, and recognize who He is, the sinless Savior, and flee to Him. Okay? Like my non-Christian friends, flee to Him and find forgiveness, and find freedom, and find life, and find redemption and reconciliation. And my Christian friends, flee to Him. When you slip and when you fall, don't run from Him. Run back to Him. So number one, take Jesus at His word. Number two, recognize who you are and who He is. And number three, in responding to Jesus, leave everything and follow Him. Okay, leave everything and follow Him. Look at the end of verse 10 again with me. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything and followed Him. And so kind of get this picture in your mind. Peter, he's got his partners, James and, and John. Uh, they've got a fishing business going on, and they've been hearing about Jesus. They've heard him preach a little bit. Uh, Peter actually came into his mother-in-law's house and healed his mother-in-law, all right? So they know a little bit about him, but they, they, they're just now coming to this point of making a decision for discipleship, and Jesus here says, follow me, and they dropped everything. They dropped, like they walked away from this, this miraculous catch. Can you imagine if, if catching a little bit of fish, you know, is how they made their living. And now they've got two boats full and sinking under the they, they water. That is a nice little payday. And they walked away from it. They left their boats as well. It was probably worth a little bit of money. So they dropped it all and they willfully, like complete and willful abandon, walked away. They walked away from their old identities. They'd always been known as fishermen. They walked away from that. They walked away from their past. They walked away from their careers. They walked away from their ambitions. They walked away from their sins. They walked away from their safety. They walked away from their security. And here's the big one and the hard one. And they left behind the right to call their lives their own. Like that's the call of Christ on your life. There's a cost to being a Christ follower. There's a cost to it. Your life is not your own anymore. It's Christ. You follow Christ. Like you follow Him. That's what Christ followers mean. We follow Him. When it's easy, got it. And when it's hard. So wanted to figure out a way to work in an illustration from our little adventure this weekend, so here we go. It's, <clears throat> the Diabletian Trail is marked with white blazes. That's how you find your way when, when trails cross, it's maybe yellow and blue. White blazes, right, John? It's white blazes. John went the wrong way one time. White blazes. <clears throat> and there are sections where it's easy. I mean, the, the trail's flat, the trail's smooth, and Maybe maybe even pine needles on it, it's soft on your feet, it's great, wonderful. And there are sections where it is brutal and unrelenting. It just goes on and on and on, brutally. But you just keep following those white blades. When it's easy and when it's hard, through the highs and through the lows, You just keep following those white blazes, never fully knowing what might be around the next curve. If it's going to be easy or if it's going to be hard. You don't know, but you trust by faith that it's leading you home. In a very similar way, that's what our call to follow Christ is about. We follow Him. If He leads us on easy paths, great. And if He leads us on difficult, brutal, sometimes unrelenting paths, we keep following Him by faith, Knowing that He's leading us home. That's our call. Okay, it's it's His life now, not our own. We follow Him. It's His. We've given it to Him. I'm not saying God's will is going to be somehow you know put you under His thumb, and He's just going to make it always brutal and always unrelenting. Just like just be thankful I saved you. that that, that, that at least I did that. But I'm going to make your life really awful now. I'm not saying that's what He's going to do that that should be the level of our commitment that no matter what, like uh, the level of our commitment should be saying along with Job, even though he slay me, yet will I follow him. We are called to follow him. And so we lay every piece of our lives on the altar. Every piece. There's nothing we keep reserved. We lay it all on the altar. It's yours. I surrender everything. I surrender all. And have thine own way with this now, Lord. It It is yours. We'll give up everything. And follow Christ. The problem comes in is that sometimes we have this idea of I'll take it along with me. I don't want to leave it, I'll I'll bring it along for the trip. And so we we'll call we we call ourselves Christians, but we're just not willing to give up our selfish ambition. We're not willing to give up our sinful pleasures and our, our comfort our comfortable surroundings, our bitter grudges, our, our precious uh, idols, or simply don't even want to give up the right to live the way that we want to live, not recognizing that it's his life now, not our own. But true discipleship is costly. Because, as Philip Ryken puts it, it means giving up what we want for us so that we can have what Jesus wants for us. And So, just being honest, just think about this for a minute. In reality, who do you want calling the shots for you? You? How's that gone? Or Christ? I mean, who ha, like who's made the biggest wreck of your life when things have gone bad? You. Who's the biggest enemy of of your own joy? You. For my life, for me, me. And so, just practically, if we can separate in the moment, yes, I want all this, but if we could get up and be objective for a minute, of course, I want to go the Christ direction, not my direction. I'll make a wreck. He'll lead me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We're called to follow Christ. And that involves every aspect of our lives. Every single one. There's not a piece of the pie we can cut off and keep. It's our relationships. We follow Christ in our job, in our honesty, what we do behind closed doors when no one's looking. We follow Christ. It's how we view our money. It's how we steward our money. It's how we give our money. That's all part of, Falling in Christ, it's what consume? what do we think about? What do we daydream about? What, what consumes our thought? I mean, on and on and on and on we could go. It is everything, every aspect of our life. But one in particular that Luke calls out for us here is fishing for men. So we're going to end of verse 10 again. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. We are called to be fishers of men. We are called to be fishers of men. The way it rolls out a lot of times in our lives, either when we initially come to faith, or for some of us, decades of being a Christian, was just this kind of this idea. Man, this is great! My sins are forgiven. I've got some Christian friends. I'm gonna go to heaven. The church is there for me. If things go bad, I'm good. what about those other people who don't know Jesus? Stinks for them. Too bad. Right? Now, we would never say that. We'd be like, oh, we need to do something about that. What are you doing about that? Right? We would never say that, but we just live it. We just live it out. We live it every single day. We say it every single day with our wallet with our schedules, with our prejudices, with our fears of being seen as weird, with our lack of kindness and patience with a waitress or waiter or a doctor's office or whatever it is. We can't fully follow Christ if we're not being fishers of men. Now, fishing, there's lots of ways to do it, right? You can troll, you can get a jig. I don't even know all this stuff. You, I used to just wrap line around and flip it out in front of the brim with a worm on it. Got it. You know, tons of ways you can fish. And it's the same in the Christian life. Fishing includes supporting the church and the mission of the church locally and globally. It means inviting friends to church. Like that should just be commonplace. It shouldn't, shouldn't be a week that go, goes by in your life where you have not invited someone to church. That is the most low-hanging fruit possible in the fishing of men. All right, so it includes inviting people to church. It means praying for people who need the gospel. God is sovereign. He's the one who does the saving. So we can pray and ask him, save this person. Please, do that. If it was just the person making the decision, we can't pray to God because he has no power to save them. It's got to be the person making... But God is sovereign. So we pray, God, please save this person. I pray every night by name for people. Particularly every single night for my children who don't yet know Christ. God, save them. Please. So pray for people. Invite. Fishing for men also means knowing how to share your faith. You want to get a little... Help with that. We I preached a whole sermon on it on December the thirteenth. Go back and grab that on the podcast. We last semester we did a whole session on that in train on Wednesday nights. It means serving the church and the community, but like you invite somebody to church, they come, they have children, they need to know that their children are safe and cared for and loved so they can hear the gospel. So it means serving by watching the kids, telling them about Jesus while parents can come in here. Fishing for men is all of this, okay? But again, that's just a small aspect of what it means to leave everything and follow Christ. It's to be a total life commitment. An I do initially, and an I do every single day. And so I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. As it relates to following Christ, how are you doing? I don't say that to like try to, but we should do these things. We have to ask introspective questions. How am I doing? Am I, how am I, how, how, how is it going for me as I seek to follow Christ? Has my vision gotten diverted? Have I let m- minor things take the place of the main thing? How am I, how are, are you following Christ or are you trying to lead Christ? You come with me, Christ, we're going over here. I still want your salvation, but I I want I want my sin over here too. Who's on the throne of your life? Christ? Or some idol or some ambition or some person? Some your work or your, your some goal. As humans, we will make extreme sacrifices to accomplish things that we really, really, really want. Extreme. What are you sacrificing to pursue Christ? There's a cost to it. They left everything. What is it that you need to leave behind to follow Christ? To take Him at His word. Recognize who you are and who He is. And if you're in Christ, how He's adopted you and He's come after you and how He loves you. And leave everything behind. Lay it on the altar. You may not... Lay it on the altar and follow Him with all your heart. Follow Him. We are called Christ followers. Let's follow Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And sometimes sin can drive us to despair. It can drive us to despising of ourselves, and we can get into a sinful place where, like Peter, we call out, "Depart from me!" But that's, like, that's opposite. We need to recognize our sinfulness, but we don't ask you to flee. We ask you to, we flee to you. What are we saying? We come empty to be filled. We come broken to be mended. We come wounded to be healed. And we're welcome with open arms. Help us rejoice in that. And out of the overflow of our heart, follow You. Understanding the grace and the goodness of a call to follow You. And understanding the cost So, Father, I ask as we sing this song, that it would be true of our hearts. We would tr- not just mouth this and to go eat, but we would sing it in the truth of our hearts. For people who are believers in this room, I pray it would be true that they would just surrender completely all the more those who have not come to a place of salvation. I pray that they would surrender to your call repent and believe the gospel and find freedom and hope and and even rest for their souls even as we work for your glory and the good of those around us. Help us. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name.